Shabbat Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Judah with Lion of Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program. We are doing Messianic teachings for Christians, and I'm glad that you have joined us. The program is intended to help not only Messianic believers to kind of confirm some of our teachings, but also for maybe you're a Christian and you are maybe not sure what Messianics are about, and this is a program to kind of help you to understand what we teach, what we believe, what are some of the differences between you as a average Christian going to church versus a Messianic believer who is keeping the commandments. In the previous programs, we have covered a couple of very serious topics that sets kind of the difference in the definition. One of those is the fact that Messianics don't believe that the law of Moses has gone away. We don't see the Messiah diminishing or making the law go away. That's a teaching of churchmen that has done that. And part of it has to do with they don't understand it and they don't want to keep it. Uh, Messianics have turned back to Moses. We're learning the commandments of the Lord. We're learning the Messiah taught the commandments. He taught the Torah. He's the greatest Torah teacher the Apostle Paul and all the others, they too were teaching the commandments and they too were keeping the commandments. So we used several programs to cover that subject. Secondly, as a major topic, we talked about the fact that the average Christian sees the world as having two covenants, an old covenant and a new covenant. Virtually every Christian teacher says that. The truth is there are seven covenants and the first six have taken place. The new covenant is actually the sixth covenant that God has made with mankind. There's still yet a seventh covenant is to come when he establishes his kingdom. So we covered that in some detail and particularly emphasizing that at no time has any follow-on covenant replaced or modified the previous covenants. And the truth is that the new covenant has actually enhanced the covenant that God made with Moses. Instead of his commandments being written on tablets of stone, those same commandments are now written on the tablets of our heart. And that Yeshua came teaching the Torah the way Moses taught it, but the way Jewish religious leaders did not teach it. And that is you obey from the heart and you disobey also from the heart. It's about where your heart is at. And the greatest commandment of the Lord is for you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. All of your heart means you obey everything the Lord said. And you don't listen to men telling you, oh, well, that covenant's been done away. We have a replacement covenant. And we've talked about why that has happened, why that teaching exists and how we differ from that as a Messianic believer. Here just recently, we talked about Sabbath, and that's another major item that you can see between a Sunday going to church Christian versus a Messianic believer who's observing Sabbath. Sabbath has never gone away. It's the last day of the week. It belongs to the Lord. God created it to be a sign between him and his people, if you're not his people, well, then you don't keep Sabbath. If you are the people that belong to God, you do keep the Sabbath. It is a sign between me and my people. Those that try to say, well, Sabbath is just for Israel, I have news for you. 
Sabbath came into this world from God before Israel ever existed. Sabbath goes back to the creation. He's the creator God. He rested on the seventh day after he had done the work of creation for six days. That commandment and that principle of what Sabbath is about has never gone away. Plus, as I've shared with you, Sabbath has been an ongoing issue within the Christian faith for millennia. In the first 400 years, all the believers kept Sabbath. They didn't keep first day worship. That was instituted by church leaders many years after the resurrection. And quite honestly, still in the world, there's been moments when the Christians scattered around the world, different places, they would revert to keeping Sabbath. It was only the Catholic Church who insisted on the first day worship, and it's only the United States of America and the evangelical churches that have adhered to first day worship. Uh, But Sabbath is a central part in terms of, on a weekly basis, walking in our faith as a Messianic believer. Sabbath is the building block that is used in the Scripture to teach you how to keep the feasts of the Lord. And we talked about the different feasts, the, the different holidays that Messianics have versus the holidays that we have here, for example, in the United States. Now, I'd like to shift to another topic with you. This one is a little bit more technical, and so I'm going to try to be careful here and explain it kind of this way. In, in the Bible, it, because it's a Hebrew Bible, there's a Hebrew context to it, there's Hebrew time, and how time is viewed is completely different than the way time is viewed by Americans and the rest of the Western world. And a lot of Christians take their understanding of how time works now in the Western nations, and they try to apply that definition of how time is done against the Scriptures when they interpret their faith, when they go back to the Scriptures. And we're talking about incredible things when it comes to interpretation of Scripture properly. I know you know this, but I want to review it very briefly so you kind of understand the breadth of of what we're talking about. Here in the United States, and you know this, we have different time zones. Because of our location on the earth, as the earth turns and the sun rises and sets, we have different time zones. For example, we have an eastern time zone, a central time zone, a mountain time zone, Pacific time zone. Hawaii has their own too. And there are hours of difference in the day. And, and you understand that here I am in Oklahoma in Central Standard Time, where you're located at, when something would happen exactly at the same time, it would be a different time on the clock where you're at versus what it would be for me. So we always have to specify what area, what time of the clock are we talking about for a synchronized event. Our Western way of tracking time, it's solar-based. A year is from January 1 through December 31. We have 365 days in a year, with the exception every four years, a leap year where we have 366 days. Again, I'm not telling you anything new. That's just the time and how we see things. We have 12 months in a year. Those days vary between 30 and 31 days. And we have February, which has 28 days, but on a leap year, it has 29 days. These are just little things about how we track our months. 
a day begins at 12 midnight, or it ends then, and at 12.01 a.m., that's when a new day begins. And the day ends when we come around back to midnight again. From essentially in the morning, 12.01, until about noon, okay, we call that morning. Might be early morning, might be late morning, but we call that time frame morning. From noon until 6 p.m., we call that afternoon. And from 6 p.m. up until midnight, we call that the evening. I mean, that's the way we converse with one another. And we count months from January. January is the first month, February is the second month, and so forth. We count months based on that cycle. We count years counting from January. And we count the the years of a man's birth from his birth date and how many times it comes back to his birth date. So, for example, I was born, for example, on July 7th in a particular year, and each July 7th is my birthday. We count up the number of years of my life every time we hit January 7th, the date of my birth. Now, let me just say it to you. Everything that I've described to you in Western time, there's not one thing in Hebrew time that matches that. Not one thing. Hebrew time is completely different. And by the way, when time is being expressed in the Bible, it's using Hebrew time. It is not following Western time. It's not following Roman Greco time of the United States. The Bible doesn't care whether you live in Central Standard Time or whatever. And all of the language for morning and evening and months and years and so forth is not based on the system that we understand. Do you understand the possibilities of misunderstandings, misinterpretations, and misrepresentation of the Bible if what you're using is your understanding of time and matching against prophecies that have time elements in it? Do you understand the, the, the mistakes you could make? It's a little bit like here in the United States, when we construct something, we use what's called imperial measurements, uh, feet and inches and yards. The rest of the world operates on what's called metrics. If I have some blueprint designs for a house, say, for example, that's in metrics, and I come over to the United States and try to use those blueprints, and I use instead imperial measurements, you do understand that after I've finished building the house according to those blueprints and I substituted this different counting system, this house is going to be messed up. It kind of looks like a house, but it's not the house that was designed. The same thing is true, my friends. If you continue to use Roman, Greco, Western world understanding of time and try to interpret the scripture, the Hebrew scriptures with it, I can assure you, you are going to mess some things up, particularly when it comes to prophecies, particularly because there's lots of time prophecies associated with it. So let me give you an introduction to Hebrew time. Instead of solar-based, Hebrew time is lunar-based. It's based off of the cycles of the moon, not the sun. And at every new moon, that's the first sliver that you see of the new moon waxing full, that's day one of that new month. In the Hebrew, we call it Rosh Hodesh. 
head of the month. And the, the lunar time frame to rotate is 29 days and a few hours. Every month, the moon goes around the Earth 29 days and a few hours. Therefore, months that are in Hebrew months are either 29 or 30 days. Not 30 and 31, they're 29 and 30. As to keep everything on cycle with the rest of the solar structure of the seasons and so forth, because if you just have 12 months, it's less than a solar year. It's not 365 days for a solar year. If you have 12 lunar months, it's something less than that. If we just kept doing that, why in the course of the months, different seasons would rotate through. So to correct that, the Hebrew calendar does the following. They create what we call a leap year. They add another month. So there's certain years, instead of 12 months, we have 13 months. The last month of the counting of months is the month of Adar. In the normal short year of 12 months, it's called the month of Adar. But in a long year, that month is now called Adar 1 and Adar 2. And we'll have two Adars, and those are the last months of the winter time frame. And the idea is to always synchronize the month of Nisan, which means springtime, to synchronize it with the season of spring. To accomplish this, in a 19-year cycle, we will have seven leap years in a 19-year cycle. And as a result of the juggling of the days in each of the month, you're going to love this part. On a short year, where we have just 12 months, the number of days in that year can either be 353, 354, or 355 days. On a long year, where we have 13 months, the number of days can either be 383, 384, or 385 days. Now, you're used to a year being 365 days. But we got six different measurements for the number of days in a Hebrew year. And we keep track of what type of year is it? Is it a short year or long year? Do you remember the prophecy that Yeshua said concerning the end of the Great Tribulation? He said, unless those days be shortened, there will not be any life. You know what he just said? He said, we're going to take a month off of that last year. We're going to shorten the year by one lunar month. That's the expression that a Hebrew understanding the calendar would understand that he just said. You'll never hear that explanation unless you learn about Hebrew time in the Bible. I have many other examples, but let me go on and explain things further. Each day in a Hebrew day has 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of nighttime. Now, in the summer months, when the sun is higher and we have a lot more daylight in the day, each hour in the summertime could be up to 75 minutes long. An hour could be 75 minutes long. In the winter, that same day could be 45 minutes long because you always have 12 hours in the day, 12 hours in the night. 
when the New Testament is talking to you about that the Messiah was taken out in the third hour, that he died in the ninth hour, you know, we have to equate that to approximations based on he was at springtime. The third hour of the day is about nine o'clock in the morning. The ninth hour of the day is about three o'clock in the afternoon. You wouldn't know that unless you understand Hebrew time. It wasn't three in the afternoon. It wasn't nine at night, like, like the numbers are indicated to us. The counting of months is done from the month of Nisan. It's always in the springtime. So we count, what's the first month? Nisan. What's the second month? Ayar. And we go around to Tishri. That's the seventh month. You know, we count the months, the number of the months based on that cycle. However, the counting of years are done from the fall, from the Feast of Trumpets that comes in September and October. That's where we count the years. That's called the turn of the year. So the counting of years is different on the calendar than the counting of months is. And sometimes the scripture is referring to years, and sometimes it's referring to months. And you have to know that particular difference. A Hebrew day does not begin at midnight. The new Hebrew day begins at sundown. And when the evening is the first part of the day, if you go back to Genesis, it talks about each day there was evening and there was morning, there was day, day one. God counts a day from sundown to sundown. And so, for example, the Sabbath, the last day of the week, guess when it begins? Friday evening to you. Friday evening, that's when the day begins. This is going to be just a little bit more interesting for you as well. The counting of a year's of a man's life, okay? We use the system where you have your birth date and on the anniversary of your birth date, you turn a number. For instance, when you first get born, you haven't been one year old, so you're called a baby. And what we do to measure that is we'd say how many months you've been alive. You know, the kid is, is seven months old. He, he's not a year yet. Not to the Hebrews. To the Hebrews, the day you are born, you are one year old. You have lived in one Hebrew year. Are you ready for this? Now, when the Hebrew year changes, you become two years old. Now, I was born in July, in the summer, and the day I was born on Hebrew count, I was one year old. I have lived in one Hebrew year. And then in September, I'm all of three months old, I was suddenly two years old. Now, by the counting that we use normally here, I'm 73 years old. No, I'm not. In the Hebrew years, I'm 74 years old. And by the way, this fall coming up, I'll be 75 years old. That's the way Hebrews count things. By the way, I keep saying by the way, we have a different method of counting the years of kings. In the Hebrew way, we count the number of years as, are you king at Passover? When it says that David was king for 40 years for Israel, it's not based on when did he actually become king. It was when was it that he had a Passover that he was king. And the first Passover that he had, whether he'd been there a year or not, he was king one year. And it counts around 
and he was king for 40 years. It was 40 Passovers that he was king. That's the reason why it's very confusing trying to count the middle 2,000 years of biblical history because all we have is the rule of measures, the counting of kings. And so that adds a little complexity to it. Yeshua ate the Passover in the evening time. Everybody's aware of that, reading is for it in the New Testament. He was then arrested that night. He was tried that night. He was crucified the following day. He died, and he was buried before the next evening. All of those events took place in one Hebrew day, the day of Passover. He fulfilled every bit of it in the same Hebrew day, the day of Passover, which, by the way, the Passover is the picture of that whole scenario, and he did it. The high Sabbath that followed, if you remember, they wanted to bury him before he died because that, it, that was a day of preparation for the next day was a high Sabbath. That was 15 Nisan, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And by the way, the commandment is the first day and the seventh day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread are high Sabbaths, and a day of preparation is actually on Passover for that high Sabbath. So he's buried before that, all right? But it says that he was raised on the first day after Sabbath. That's referring to the weekly Sabbath. So he was crucified and buried on Passover day, he was in the grave during the high Sabbath, and he was still in the grave during the weekly Sabbath, and then he was seen after the Sabbath. He was seen in the daytime after the Sabbath. By the Hebrew methodology, he, was, he, he died and was in the grave three days and three nights by the Hebrew count, and that's the reason why all you Christians are highly confused about trying to count it up, because you don't know Hebrew time. You keep using Western time trying to figure out the three days and three nights of the Lord, and they keep telling it was Friday to Sunday morning. Hey, Friday to Sunday morning, how do you get three days and three nights out of that? You don't. You got three different days, but that's not what the prophecy said. So they got it all messed up because they don't understand Hebrew time. As I said to you before, this has huge implications when it comes to future prophecies. Let's talk about the high holy days. In the commandments of the Lord, we have a series of high holy days. Now, you guys, well, let, me, let me correct that, holidays. We use the term holidays. The, where that comes from is those are, you ready? Holy days. We shorten the expression to call them holidays, okay? And in your world, the Christian world, we have a holiday on January 1. Okay, that's New Year. In Hebrew time, the New Year is one Tishri, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. That's a holy day. That's our holiday. You've got a whole different day for trying to figure out the New Year. You observe Easter, the day of the resurrection. You do it on the first Sunday after the spring equinox. Why do you do it after the spring equinox? Well, because the ancients, the ancient Christians converted to worshiping the sun. Christianity, 400 years after the resurrection, worshiped the sun. Constantine, 
was a sun worshiper. He believed in Mithra. And to get everybody to join the Christian church, he adopted and took the tradition and the holiday of the peoples at that time and just absorbed them into the faith of Christianity. And by the way, Christianity has a history of this. They'd go and absorb other people's holidays into the faith. And that's the reason why we've got Christmas in December. That's the reason why you have Sunday worship. Now, some people say they're pagan. Okay, well, yeah, that's a, that is a definition for it. Let me tell you what it really is. It's the Christians wanted to have everybody join the Christian church, and so they decided rather than fight those guys, we'll go ahead and join them a little bit, and they'll bring them on in to us. And that was, that was their idea of the Great Commission. That was their idea of, of taking the gospel to the whole world. Hey, we'll take a little of your stuff, you take us. That's what God calls mixing, and he's very opposed to this. In fact, that's the reason why the northern kingdom, the house of Israel, split off from the house of Judah. They were mixing the things of the Lord with other things. In fact, there's a very famous quote, we believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but we will also bake cakes to the queen of heaven. They would do both. And because the Jerusalem temple was so exclusive only to the God of Israel, and they wanted to do other things when they worshiped, that's the reason why they built a temple up in Bethel and built one up in the, in the area of Dan. And then Jeroboam told everybody, don't go down to Jerusalem, we'll, we'll do it up here. And boy, did they get in trouble with the Lord for mixing all that stuff with him. He said, I am a jealous God. I will not share my glory with anybody. And by the way, the church today is doing exactly the same mistake the house of Israel did back in those days with the Lord. I'm here to tell you, the God of this Bible is still a jealous God, and he does not like the faith in him mixed with anything else in the world, especially other religious holidays. That's one of the big differences between us messianics. We don't do Easter. We do the Feast of First Fruits. That's when we teach the resurrection. We have a holiday in the Hebrew that does cover the resurrection. It's the Feast of First Fruits. It comes after the Passover. But Christianity skips the Passover, skips the other stuff, and they base it off again the solar calendar they look at the Sunday after the spring equinox, you know, that has to do with the solar count, and that's how we get that. We have other holidays. Some of these are nationalistic. Some of them are religious. For example, we have Memorial Day. We have Independence Day, you know, when our nation was fun. We have Labor Day. We have Halloween. Oh, that one, that's getting interesting. That's starting to get some spiritual overtones to it. And... Thankfully, in this generation, there's a lot of Christians. I don't want to do the ghost and goblin thing. We'll call it a fall holiday, a fall festival. We still have candy. We still goof off, you know, things like that. Still costumes and all that. But we'll call it something different. It's still the same thing. You're not supposed to be doing it. Okay? Amen. Forgive me if I preach on this. Thanksgiving. Now, that one's worthy. I'm all for it. You should thank God for this nation and for the lives that we have here. Nothing wrong with that. But you could 
keep the biblical holidays and do the Thanksgiving thing at every one of those. We have a whole bunch of holidays that teach us to be thankful to the Lord. You have one, okay? Now let's talk about Christmas. Oh, this is, this is precious. Of all of the holidays, Christmas is probably the dominant one for Western nations, especially here in the United States. And anybody who comes up and impugns Christmas, anybody who speaks against Christmas, oh, I don't like Christmas, I'm not going to do Christmas, whatever, there's just this some indignation that rises up in your average Christian that says, well, you know, boo-hoo, you know, bah humbug, you know, all that. Here's the real problem. You see, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, has specifically said the following, that if a man goes out into the forest and he chops down an evergreen tree and he hooks boards to the bottom of it, nails boards to the bottom so it doesn't teeter or totter, I'm paraphrasing the scripture, and then he brings it in his house and he decorates it with gold and silver, that man is an idolater. Now, the average Christian, they're not thinking of themselves as an idolater when they go celebrate Christmas and do all the gore and the Christmas tree and all the fun things they do. They're doing it based on, they believe, the birth of the Messiah. And it's a great shopping day, and everybody gets to have gifts, and we have parties and, you know, all kinds of wonderful foods, and, and it's beautiful when it's decorated in the house. That, that's what we're thinking. We're thinking, you know, go, go ask Grandma. She'll tell you all about it. It's a wonderful family time. If God says it's idolatry, it's idolatry. That's not your, based on your opinion. And furthermore, I know in your heart you're not thinking that it's an idolatrous thing. However, that part where you get on your knees in front of the tree and reach underneath to get the blessings out from under the tree, take my word for it, you definitely look like an idolater at that moment. Now, you're a Christian, and you believe in God, and you believe in Jesus. Did Jesus tell you to go celebrate his birth by bringing an evergreen tree into your house? No, he did not. Where did we get that from? That's the traditions of men. Did you know that originally when men started doing that, the church came out and said that anybody doing that is a heretic. The church said that. So how in the world did we get to the position where we're at now? You can look this up and check it out for yourself. It's because we got a bunch of Christmas tree salesmen going here in the United States. There was one man in particular that was in Youngstown, Ohio, and he didn't have a job, and he didn't have any money, and he, he, he was starving to death. And so what he did was he went out and cut down a bunch of evergreen trees and brought them back to town, and he sold them to them and told them, hey, it's, this is the tradition, this is the teaching. You get one of these, you set up your house, decorated. It's a Christmas tree. And that's how he made it through that winter. He was selling Christmas trees. And the next thing you know, well, a whole bunch of other people decided to do it, and everybody kind of likes the holiday, and it, Next thing you know, Christianity absorbs it and receives it. You know what really made Christmas go in this country? 
you can look it up. It's the history. It's when Coca-Cola put out an ad showing a big Santa Claus selling you Coca-Cola. That's when it really took off here in this country. And the rest of the world has been mimicking and following what the United States did. This is a recent phenomenon about the Christmas tree. You guys think it all originates all the way back to the Hebrews and about to Yeshua's birth, you know, there in Bethlehem. What happened in the Bible has nothing to do with what that thing is today you call Christmas. Now, I know this is offending some of you. Stop and think for a moment. If you're offended by this, is because something spiritually is in your heart. Now, those are the facts. You can step back and look at them logically. But if you're beyond logic and it's affecting your feelings, it's a spiritual thing. Whether you realize it or not, an idolater is a spiritual person. The problem, though, is his spirituality is going in the wrong direction from God. Idol worshipers are religious people. They are spiritual. I'm not denying that the Christian world is not a spiritual thing. The problem is, which God are you following? And you determine which God you're following by which commandments are you keeping? If you're not keeping the commandments of the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, you're following some other God. And by the way, if you misappropriate God's name, his glory, his his characteristics, and put them on top of your idolaters, you really get God upset. Because he says, I'm a jealous God, and I will not share my glory with anyone or any other God. And in fact, he's in the business of destroying other gods that men create. Now, despite what other Christians might say, well, this is what it is for me. That's even worse. You've created a God out of your imagination. You didn't use stone or wood or whatever. You created a God out of your imagination. And that is my great fear when we messianics come together with Christians. We are hoping that you Christians will please look at the scripture again one more time. Examine your own behavior. Did the Lord tell you to do that? What did the Lord actually say? Well, he actually said this, and you're not doing that. You're doing something else. Why do you think that's going to be acceptable to the Lord? I can tell you right now, the Lord is on record in this Bible and says that is not acceptable to him at all. So the holy days that I'm referring to, the ones that the Bible speaks of, it deals with Passover in the springtime, the Feast of Unleavened Bread from the 15th of Nisan to the 21st. That's the reason why you need to know about Hebrew months and Hebrew time and what days are those specifically. You then observe the Feast of First Fruits. We observe and recognize the resurrection on the first day after the weekly Sabbath, after the Passover. It's a variable day each year, but it has to be based on Passover and a weekly Sabbath. We then count seven weekly Sabbaths after that day, and on the 50th day, 
Seven times seven is 49. On the 50th day, the day after the seventh Sabbath, we observe what's called the Feast of Weeks. It's not a fixed day. It's a variable. But you have to understand Sabbaths, and you have to understand Passover, and you have to understand the Hebrew months and weeks to be able to do it. Then we have the fall holidays. We have trumpets, which is on the first of Tishri. You have to know when Tishri takes place. Then we have Yom Kippur, 10 days later. That's the day that we all fast before the Lord, which symbolizes the day of the Lord, the day that God will judge the world by fire. And five days later, then we have Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths. That's seven days long. On the eighth day is called Hoshana Rabbah, the great day of the feast. By the way, are you aware of the fact that the Bible specifically says that when the Messiah comes back, you will be observing the Feast of Tabernacles with him in Jerusalem? What are you going to be observing if you don't even know what it is or when it takes place? You don't even know what it is. Yet the Bible says you're going to be there. You know what? If you don't keep those commandments, when you get to the kingdom, you'll be like what Yeshua said. You'll be least in the kingdom. You don't know anything. You have to be taught. You believed in Jesus, you get to the kingdom, and you don't know anything about being in the kingdom. First thing we're doing, keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe you should practice it beforehand like he commanded you to do. And that way you'll be familiar with what's going on. Now, there's a lot of people that are going to tell you that the things I just described, oh, those are Jewish feasts, and we're Gentiles. We, we don't do those. No, they're not. They're not Jewish feasts. They are Hebrew feasts. They were given to the Hebrew people. Yes, there are some Jews that are amongst the Hebrews but there's a whole lot more people that aren't Jews that are called Hebrews. And by the way, if you believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you believe in the Messiah, you qualify as, just like Abraham, you are one of the Hebrew people. You may be an alien or a sojourner, but you're part of the Hebrew people. You remember how the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, the scripture says they were a mixed multitude. What that means is that there was the native-born, they just direct descendants from Jacob and his family, but there were also some other people that weren't necessarily of that, that were dwelling with them. In other words, they were living in the very community with them. And then there were some other people that were really from other nations, but they too were coming. And today in Israel, we have Jews, we have people that are living in Israel with them, and we have people who believe in the God of Israel and who travel to Israel to visit once in a while. You have the native-born, the alien, and the sojourner. Guess what? Every commandment in the law of Moses is written that this shall be observed by the native, by the alien, and the sojourner. The commandments of Torah were given to every person in the world that will begin to believe in the God of Israel. Now, if you believe in Yeshua of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, you believe in the God of Israel. He is the God of Israel. And he has given his commandments, and they apply to you. 
And to be able to keep them, you need to understand Hebrew time and the Hebrew instructions that are given in the Hebrew Bible to the Hebrew people. Instead of this cop-out thing, oh, that's, uh, that's for the Jews, that's not for me. No, God said it's for you. You may be a sojourner, you might be dwelling with some other Jews, and you're an alien, and you might even be native-born. You might even be Jewish. You're supposed to be keeping these commandments. Now, let me give you a, just a summary little illustration here. I've got a diagram here that's going to kind of show you how this all interrelates. It's like two wheels. On the outside rim, those are the Hebrew months. On the inside wheel are the normal months that you're accustomed to. So you can see how that January over here is near the month of Tevet and Shevet. Those happen in the winter, okay? And you get down here to Nisan, which is over here. That's springtime, and it counts this way, okay, clockwise. There's springtime, and there's summer, and then we get over here to the fall, and you can see the corresponding months of the normal Gregorian calendar, the normal Western months and time that you do. We messianics keep track of both calendars because we have to relate to the people that are here with us, and we have to relate to the commandments of the Lord. If you're going to learn the commandments of the Lord and you're going to learn to be part of messianic things, you got to learn new time. The Bible teaches the time frame that you have to learn that time frame to be able to understand the commandments and to keep them. This is one of the major differences between Messianics and Christians. And I know for Christians, if you don't understand this, it can get a little bit confusing about how you keep the holidays and what they're about and how often they occur and all of those kinds of things because obviously you're accustomed to the Gregorian calendar, the Roman calendar, for all of those things. This is a very important difference that exists between us in our culture and the Hebrew Bible. That's our teaching for this week. I have more for you coming up next week. You'll find interesting the differences between Messianics and Christians, and I look forward to sharing more Messianic teachings for Christians with you next week. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you, everyone, who listens to our podcast here at Line of Land Ministries. I want to remind you, you can get our podcast through Apple Podcasts, through Spotify, and wherever you like to download your podcasts. Thank you for being a part of our program and listening to what we have to say.